Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast with the opinion that progressive politics can change the world. Today we come to you from sunny Peterborough where we've been out campaigning in the by-election which is next Thursday and I'm joined by Stefan Rolnick, Sev Dance MUE and Lord Spencer Livermore. Lovely to have you. Good to be Now we've just had a lovely lunch here in this little cafe. It's called the Chai Cafe. Highly recommend it. And it's our first podcast since the European elections. So I'm here to say congratulations, Seb. Thank you. <laughs> and, well, I'll ask you a simple question. Good. What the hell <laughs> like happens now? Ah, that's not a simple question. I know. <laughs> well, actually, no, it's a simple question. It's just not a simple answer. Um, I mean, uh, look, there's several things that are happening. Obviously, the first thing we should note, I think, because it's kind of glossed over is the complete and utter collapse of the conservative party as a functioning coherent party um mm. i think we are looking at a fundamental split that probably will never heal um and we'll see obviously what happens with the resulting leadership contest and the extraordinary parade of people who are completely unfit to lead the country um but uh what worries me is what replaces the tory party what what comes in to fill that vacuum and that brings me on to the second thing, which is that the Labour Party, I don't think at the moment, is in the position it needs to be to stop that vacuum being filled by the likes of Farage and nationalists and uh, isolationists and populists. Um, and I think our position on Europe showed that we are not being clear enough in trying to defend the country from that. Before we look too far forward, could you just give us a sense of how that the election night went across Europe because there's yeah. different stories for different countries. There, there are, there are. I mean, broadly speaking, uh, the populist wave wasn't as big as we had feared. Um, the main parties uh, uh, largely held. There's been huge increases for the Green Party, uh, particularly in Germany, where they they've overtaken us, uh, the uh, the SPD, to um, take second place. And uh, the Liberals as well, uh, the, the Aldi group, which is what the Liberal Democrats belong to, they've also done very well across Europe. So it's very interesting. I mean, the, the S&D, which is our group, have done well in pockets. So we've done well in Spain, in Portugal, uh, in Denmark. And the 
EPP, which is the main centre-right grouping, has basically uh, underperformed in pretty much every member state. And I think what we're seeing is that you know, the centre-right is trying to ape a lot of what the far-right's doing, uh, you know, chasing a particular vote in order to, I don't know, what they see as solidifying their base. And it's not working. It's not working because people don't trust them and they, they see the far-right alternatives as, as, as the authentic uh, offering. What do you think about the rise of the far right across Europe then? Do you think that this election result sort of confirms all the fears that we had? Or do you think that sort of the growth of the Greens and the Liberals means that there is a way back? I think the latter. Um, that being said, of course, in Britain, the Brexit party uh, had the most seats. In France, uh, the uh, uh, I can't remember what they're called, the Rassemblement National, I think, uh, won the, uh, the most seats. Salvini uh, won the most seats in Italy. And these, of course, big member states. That is extremely worrying but you also need to look at who came second in all of those elections and the um macron's group for example i think they're only one seat behind so the and of course that's the case incidentally with the brexit party in 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 england in that you look at the the next one down and in many cases they're not far behind so yes i think there is a hope but you know it it's got to be in being clear and unambiguous about your position on, well, certainly in the British case on, on Brexit, but in, in, in the rest of Europe about the kind of society you want, open or closed. I think one of the other interesting stories of the night was the turnout and in mm. you know some places increased turnout. I think one of the really interesting things about the European Union and kind of the different layers of democracy and bureaucracy is that often these things to even to people who are interested in politics have always seen, been like kind of anonymous and you know we don't really know the details, but now so many people are watching and people mm. are actually getting in- engaged with who's going to be the next president and stuff mm. like that. So mm. could you just tell us, because I know that those decisions about who gets appointed as head of different things directly relates to those elections. So could you just mm. flesh out for us the different positions up for grabs and mm. how what happened mm. that night affects that? Yeah, of course. So the, the composition of the parliament will, will have an implication on who is chosen as the uh, commission president, for example. Now, this is uh, ultimately a decision made by the member states. It's, it's uh, you know, the, the EU is is member state led, uh, and the council will have had their first meeting already to kind of flesh out what what the the, the lay of the land is amongst the heads of government. Um, but they need to take account of the parliamentary composition because it's a parliament that approves uh, commission appointments, not just the president, but also the other commissioners as well. Um, and uh, the election results are interesting because the EPP fell uh, in numbers and did very badly, in fact, uh, in many big member states, much worse than they were expecting. Uh, and because the S&D, yes, we lost seats, but we didn't lose as many as we thought we were going to lose, uh, particularly, again, in, in big member states. That means that the uh, gap between us, uh, between the EPP and the S&D, is actually much smaller than, than was first projected. That means, therefore, if you can get a coalition with whoever, the Greens, Aldi, and, and, and both of them are now big, sizable groups. In fact, the decisions they make in the forthcoming parliament will be really important. Then it's possible that you you know you could get uh, commission uh, candidates and even the commission president. Who knows uh, that aren't necessarily it's not necessarily going to be an EPP person. Um, of the EPP people that are being put forward, EPP people. There's a <laughs> there's a tongue twister. Uh, Manfred Weber is the Spitzenkandidat, so he's the lead candidate for the EPP. Uh, as opposed to Franz Timmermans, who of course came up on the doorstep every single day in the election, <laughs> uh, they. Uh, but you know, the other name for the EPP is uh, Michel Barnier, who is very popular. In fact, the Irish government have already said they'd like him appointed. So we'll see. We'll see this kind of tussle between the 
so-called Spitzenkandidat process, i.e. the person who's put up by the political groups that, you know, should that be respected or should it just be the numbers in the parliament? Can a coalition come together that means that it's not necessarily the leading party? I mean, that's obviously I would prefer that because I think it better reflects the level of support out there. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Just for the lay people among us, uh, what does that (laughs) actually mean for your average sort of um, person sat in their front room listening to this podcast now does it affect brexit i know we're due to leave on the 31st of october now mm. but will there be a significant change based on where there is an epp candidate or a candidate chosen by a group of smaller parties yeah i mean to be honest if we want the best people in place to be sympathetic to britain uh, and remainers i.e people that want to keep the door open for us then we're going to want the socialists and the greens to work very closely together and um, we're going to need a lot of the aldi members as well um Giva hofstadt who leads the aldi group is not particularly keen on britain staying whereas franz timmermans the uh, s&d leader uh, is very much keen on on uh, seeing what uh, what what can what can be done to keep britain in the epp are somewhat um ambivalent you've got to remember of course that if if the brits go the EPP don't lose any members because, in fact, they gain members because in some member states they get an additional allocation of seats. Very small allocation, but hey, an increase is an increase. Whereas the S&D will lose 10 Labour MEPs and the replacements in the increased seats that some member states will get won't, won't match that loss. So, you know, there's a bit of kind of political self-interest going on here, but uh, uh, it, you're going to ask me what that means for the ordinary person, and that's a very, that's a very clear no, question. I, what I was about to ask was, you said that the EPP was a centre-right group, yeah. right? So that means that, just to clarify for people at home, that means our Conservatives don't sit with the centre-right. No, 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 they sit with um, a group called the ECR, which is, how can I put it, um, a hodgepodge collection of... Um, extraordinary uh, parties from around uh, predominantly Eastern Europe. There's the Law and Justice Party in Poland is a member of the ECR. Uh, they're not great people. Um, but hey, they've only got uh, four Tories now to join them. Um, so <laughs> we'll see what they make of that new group. After after the election, there was a kind of very obvious attempt on both sides to spin it as, you know, Brexit Party won in terms of the regional system and they like came out on top. But also there was a kind of spin of, well, if you count up the Remain parties, do you include Labour in that? And, you know, mm. That's something we debate on this podcast quite a lot. <laughs> um, if you count up the Remain parties versus the Leave parties, was it a mm. win for Remain or was it a win for Leave? And I think actually what, in the space in between, which doesn't get said a lot, which was actually it was quite a strong showing for the Remain parties, but it's also incredibly concerning that mm. a party led by Nigel Farage mm. did that well. Coming out of that, I mean... How do you feel about how this is going to play out now? Yeah. Obviously, a lot of it is about parli- parliamentary arithmetic in terms of whether a deal gets through Parliament. But in terms of the country, has has anything, to borrow a phrase, changed? <laughs> has anything changed? Um, I know. Nothing has changed. No, uh, I think quite a lot has changed. If you... Okay, so first off, yes, the, su- the success of the Brexit Party in the European elections is astonishing. There's no, there's no point pretending otherwise. You know, it's a, it is a new party that, that, in terms of a brand, right? And it launched very recently. Farage is obviously incredibly charismatic. He's managed to bring a lot of people over. But at the same time, it's also just a rebrand of an existing party. It is the UKIP. Uh, it's the modern version of UKIP. Uh, and, you know, in terms of the increase in vote, if you, I mean, it's, it, it varies. But in London, for example, and, and apologies, it's, it's not because I'm 
obsessed with London. It's because I only know my own my own regional figures in because I do obsess about the, the the voting figures in in the election I just stood in. Apologies. Um, the increase. Uh, in the vote from UKIP in 2014 to the Brexit Party in 2019 is only 30,000. It's very, very small. Uh, and the increase for the Liberal Democrats is nearly half a million. So I think there is something going on here. Um, I think the clear outcome in terms of uh, Remain versus Leave, there is a very clear majority for parties that have a public vote as part of their manifesto. And you can argue how clear or unambiguous uh, uh, we were in terms of that commitment, but we had it. Uh, and there is a very clear uh, a majority for parties that, that supported the public vote. But even if you don't include Labour, there's a majority for uh, parties that uh, want to campaign to remain. Well, let's have that conversation about Labour because I guess we can't put it off given, <laughs> given the podcast that we are. There was quite a lot of stuff over the last few days about, I mean, it's, you know, been happening for God knows how long now, mm. but about whether Corbyn had actually backed confirmatory vote or not. And I kind of, I feel like I'm of the position until he gets up and says, we are going to make a public vote happen. I'm not sure, you know, because there's so many times before I've been burned and think we've yep. got a public vote. <laughs> yeah. Okay, question one, do we have a public vote? And, and I guess question two, if not, what are the levers that people listening to the podcast have to kind of push on that to make that happen? Yeah. So like you, very frustrated. I thought the reactions after the election results were astonishing and really positive and there was a lot of humility shown a recognition that we have to change our policy and since then i mean what are we now it's only thursday <laughs> since then it's kind of changed back a bit another kind of counter messages have been put out and it's just exhausting and, and frankly it's doing untold damage to us um because i think people are willing to kind of accept that people make mistakes and you've got to change messaging depending on election results and that's understandable and it might take people time to get there but after a while they start to lose any patience and if you keep chopping and changing going backwards and forwards talking to two different sets of people and telling them the exact opposite then people will just give up uh, and the longer this goes on the more damage it'll it'll do and the deeper it will go um, you're finding it here on the doorstep here in peterborough um, from both sides, people are switching to the Brexit Party and people who are switching to the Liberal Democrats or the Greens. You're seeing it here. So you can't maintain this kind of tightrope thing. It doesn't make any sense. And the other thing I think it's really damaging for is even if people don't have Brexit as their number one concern, and most people don't when it comes to certainly in a, either a by-election or a general, um, it, you need the permission to be able to talk about other things. And if you're not clear on a key issue like this, you don't have the permission to talk about other things. So that's that's where it's doing us key damage. I think the, the levers that people have, you know, you've, we've got to keep the pressure up. And I think it's made enormous difference in the last uh, few days. Obviously, the election results were unavoidable and they were a clear, stark uh, reminder of, of, of the need to, to be clear on our policy. But actually, just, just keep going. Just keep hammering it. Even when you think, oh, that's a great thing that mm. uh, you know, X Frontbencher just said, just keep going because you can bet your bottom dollar that in you know, 24 hours' time, someone will say the complete opposite. <laughs> and a quick note on that. If you haven't been to laborsay.eu already and written to the Shadow Cabinet, please do so. Thousands of you have already done it. Um, and we know from our actions in the past that MPs do listen they do. and they do respond and they want to hear from you. So please do that. I guess it's now time to take a quick break 
as always, if you have a pro-European Labour Party friend and they haven't heard of the Progressive Britain podcast, what are they doing? Send it to them now. And we will be back in a couple of seconds to talk about being on the doorstep in Peterborough. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. So we've been out on the doorstep here in Peterborough. Uh, this afternoon. And so I'm going to ask our lovely group of labor activists here uh, three quick fire questions about what they've learned. Uh, the first one being your best campaigning moment of the day. Who wants to go first? Spencer, you look like you want to go first. Well, undoubtedly, when someone actually answered the door to me, I was starting to, <laughs> <laughs> I was starting to take it quite personally after four or five doors when no one would open the door. And I finally got to speak to a voter. But thankfully, no dogs. No, well, I had to run away from two doors that had big dogs. So, um... and I did get that dog, and now I have a fear of dogs. <laughs> Deb, you got on? Oh gosh, um, I, I guess just talking to a voter who switched the Brexit Party from us, and then crossing the road and talking to a voter who switched the Liberal Democrats, and I'm like, okay, it's not just London. This is good. It's everywhere. That's the best moment. <laughs> That's the best moment. That's the best moment. Activist, please come up to me and open some doors. That's not a good moment. That's not a good moment. Stefan, you got one? Um, again, I don't know if this is good. I'd say it was interesting, but when um, I was deep in conversation with a lovely gentleman about how we solve the problems with the NHS and <laughs> some kind of lifespan reduction policy he had that was very disturbing that we briskly moved on to I think everyone's got those stories when you've been compulsory euthanasia (laughs) (laughs) yeah we can workshop it he was a a nice man (laughs) and Alison last but not least (laughs) well well obviously I I was doing the board looking at the numbers so my favourite moment was finding out how accurate the data was in Peterborough which is very sad loserish tendency that I have but it was an excellent voter selection uh, in Peterborough. It was very satisfying. Well, it was good for us too, though, because it meant we knocked on doors with nice people. Yeah. yeah. And no, that, that made a massive difference. It did. Everybody in Peterborough was Can lovely. I change that to my nicest moment? Because my nicest moment wasn't very nice, but your, yours is actually, and, and actually, of all the people that I spoke to, they were predominantly Labour. They were. Uh, they were. I mean, there was a lot of Labour votes there. Yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's one of those things where if you 
look at the papers and what goes on on television and politics and you think that's what politics is. And actually you realize most people are taking in very little of that. Mm. They're quite sharp mm. about mm. what's going on in politics, but for most people, there's bigger issues and... Yeah. And there's a lot of people who share our values and they still do despite the chaos. Fantastic. And just to add mine, um, mine was when I knocked on a door and spoke to a man who did not want to speak to me about politics. But when I asked him about his classic car, he told me how great it was that apparently he has to pay no tax and doesn't have to wear a seatbelt. So good for him. A, a good, good, good luck on a the road. A Hillman imp, no less. My parents <laughs> drove a Hillman imp. And how much better the old cars were, are than, than, than the modern than rubbish. The new cars, yeah. He's not keen on modern cars. Who doesn't want to fly through the windscreen these days, eh? <laughs> That's what freedom is, isn't it? <laughs> Way. Next, one message that you would take from today's session on the doorstep. Stefan? Again, I had very several very interesting conversations today. <laughs> um, I mean, again, one of the most interesting messages was somebody who suggested that Maybe um, back in the day, bringing back some kind of Guy Fawkes would be a good idea, which actually, you know, I don't want to joke about that because very disturbingly, I think one of the things that I did take away from the doorstep is that people are just livid with everything. And you can, you can kind of connect with these people. And I think what I realized was that everyone's really livid with the way things are going. And actually what they're looking for is an explanation. And I think some of the approaches that have been put around in the Labour Party about Brexit um, actually are about not giving those people the explanation they need. We're kind of hedging our bets on that explanation. So my one message coming away from that is like, we need to explain to people why immigrants are good. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Anyone else? Spencer? The thing I would take away, I suppose, is is austerity. That, it, you know, it's, it's a serious, serious point for a moment. But, you know, we talk about the word austerity and we talk about it in a policy terms. But when you go out on the doorstep today, you get to see the actual implications of what that word means. You get to see the fly tipping that is all around you get to see the council cuts. You get conversations with people about how their services have been cut and how the how their lives have been affected by those cuts. So, you know, it's very easy for us to be in London and talk about the word austerity, but suddenly you get to see what austerity actually means uh, to real people. And that was a definitely a, a strong message I got both in conversations, but just in observing um, the kind of uh, the the, um, the conditions that that people were having to live in locally. Mm. Yeah, no, I just on on, on building on that, I think. As, as Ali said, the the values that people have, I think, are, are fairly solid. I don't think they're changing, um, but it's whether or not our position is clear enough, uh, and it chimes with with the way people think. I'm not entirely sure that that's coming across as clearly as it should. Um, and so, people, when you know, when they want to express their frustration, and they do, I think they 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 basically bound us in they, with the with the government. As, as in you're all the same and that's kind of heartbreaking and you have to spend a little more time explaining that we're not the same absolutely Alison have you got anything I mean I agree with Spencer basically you when you talk to people directly you remember what's important to them and you see what this government has done to people and why we have a duty to try and change it and um, one thing that I got is I spoke to a couple of first-time voters on the doorstep and Normally, I'd expect them to be sort of really engaged. It's their by-election, blah, blah, blah. See a lot, lot of it in the news. But actually, they just didn't know who to vote for. Mm. They didn't really care. They seemed pretty despondent about the whole thing. And that's not the kind of democracy we want to live in. But let's cheer us all up. If <laughs> everyone here could tell Jeremy Corbyn, near the Labour Party, one thing, what would it be? That in order to win, you need to ha get numbers. That voting and elections is... It's all about numbers. You've got to get more votes than the next lot. And we need to really focus on how we win people's votes. 
I suppose mine would come directly from one lady I spoke to on the doorstep. She said she's always been Labour all her life and she'll definitely vote Labour, but she says how desperately we need a, a Labour government and why is Labour not further ahead of the Conservatives right now? And she was very concerned that it so desperately needed a change of government, but Labour is just not far enough ahead of the Conservatives to make that happen. Yeah, and, and I think in order to do that, we need to be clear about our values and clear about how we fight the, the people who are, are claiming to represent the values that people have, There's, you know, let's be explicit. The Brexit Party here is is trying to convince people that they're the ones, you know, that have their backs, and they're not. Uh, they don't give a, you know, you mean the millionaire flying, candidate is not, uh, it, it, it's not sticking he, up exactly, people. exactly. But you know, the fact that it's difficult, challenging to get our message across speaks volumes. I think we need to be much, much clearer. Yeah, I mean, I just completely echo that. I just say clarity. I think the one thing that's guaranteed to turn voters off you when they're looking for answers right now is if they feel like you're hedging your bets. And I think the one thing I felt on the doorstep was people, people, you know, they don't have a lot of time and they can't engage with the news, you know, all day, every day because people have got more important things to do. But they can tell when somebody's not being clear with them. And all I'd say is people know they found us out and we need to do something about that. Yeah, I totally echo that. It feels like Labour Party recently is sort of, had lots of energy and it feels like since the European elections, the local elections, that sort of energy and our position of various things has meant that we've all just gone a bit flat, which isn't very nice. We should be the party of change and the party of progress. Yes. And on that note, saying we should be the party of progress, I think we'll wrap up there. Thank you to the good people of Peterborough. Thank you all for coming. Thank you to the lovely people at Thai Cafe. Please come along if you're in Peterborough. And we will see you on Tuesday. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate and review. It's very helpful. Thank you. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was One in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer, Caroline Crampton. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.